Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have CEO David McPhail from Memex. Memex trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol OEE and on the OTC under MENXF. The company is currently trading at three cents with roughly 148 million shares outstanding or about a $4.4 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andreola. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Um... Great to have David back. Uh, last time, David, we had you on. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't uh, get to the presentation, um, but you've got one with us today. So um, we're going to take the opportunity here to basically use this as a uh, sort of a introduction to the company uh, from scratch. So I'm just going to hand it over to you, David, and then uh, we're going to follow up with some questions. So David, take it away. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul and Trevor, and uh, hello, subscriber base. Uh, as, as Paul said, we're uh, traded on the venture uh, TSX uh, V symbol OEE. That wasn't a random symbol. Uh, that was a symbol that we chose because basically what our solution does is it measures overall equipment effectiveness. So the acronym for o, uh, overall equipment effectiveness is OEE. And that's a stock symbol that we uh, chose by design. If you look at our tagline, I, I see that I've got the year wrong. It's not 2022 one. Uh, I got a little extra digit in there, but uh, so we didn't all get time warped, but uh, a measuring manufacturing excellence, uh, MEMEX is an acronym for that tagline. And that's exactly what we do. I couldn't think of three words that better describe uh, what our technology does, what it accomplishes. Um, so with that, let's get started. Uh, advancing a the slide, there we go. Okay, so our value proposition to our customers, this is what we tell our customers. Uh, we deliver on average a 10 to 50% productivity increase. Um, and I'll explain how we do that. Uh, a 10% increase in OEE uh, generates approximately a 20 to 60% increase in uh, EBITDA. So the ROI is extremely quick. Uh, we connect any asset. And again, I'll show you some of the, the methods that we use to connect any asset. So uh, it doesn't matter what the company makes and it doesn't matter whether it's a newer machine or, or a new machine or an old machine or somewhere in between. Uh, it's irrelevant. Uh, as long as it uh, it makes something, we can monitor the the tack time of the part or the or the pieces that it makes or what it packages, whatever. We we have uh, many verticals that we play in. So primarily aerospace and defense is where we started, but we've added uh, stamping companies, companies that weld, make weldments and fabrications. We've added food and beverage packaging. Uh, we, we see essentially anything in discrete manufacturing or discrete process uh, as a candidate for uh, for our product whether it's a machine or, or it's an actual workstation where somebody is actually packaging something or doing some value-added activity, we can also monitor that because we virtualize the concept of a machine in the form of a, of a, of a person or a work cell. Our payback average is uh, four months with a, essentially a tantamount to a 300% internal return rate. And essentially what we do is reveal the sustainable ongoing hidden factory that most people don't know exists. There's three things in every factory that's constantly changing. There's the people, there's the product that it, the company makes, and then there's the equipment that they make it on. And anytime any one of those three pillars of productivity changes, producti productivity is usually the first thing that suffers. Uh, the good news about what we do is we show the company exactly succinctly where to concentrate their efforts to pick that productivity back up again. Uh, we've been in business for over 25 years. I'm not going to go through everything on this slide, but as part of the presentation, you can read it later. Uh, but we're, we're, we're primarily a, a technology company and a solutions-based company. So basically what we do is we have developed all of the technology that allows us to do what I mentioned uh, in terms of measuring OEE. 
And um, uh, we've done it over the last, uh, say, since 2008-ish uh, around there. And we were involved in some very important industry standard uh, collaboration. We were, we've developed all of our own hardware, all of our own software. Every single thing that we sell as a solution is developed by us. We don't, uh, we're not beholden to any, uh, any one vendor or any particular, um, other than Microsoft SQL Server is our database layer, which a lot of people are beholden to. But uh, beyond that, everything that we sell uh, and to generate uh, the return on investment and the revenue that we generate is owned 100% IP by us. We spent about $10 million on our platform thus far. So, you know, the money that we've raised has gone into developing the platform and, and um, sales and marketing. Uh, and essentially what we do is we transform factories of today into factories of the future, and we do it every day. This is just a small sampling of our customers. You'll notice big companies on here, small companies on here. You'll notice uh, some household names on here. You'll notice machine builders on here. Uh, you'll notice um, a bunch of different genres of manufacturing on here. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter what the company does. It doesn't matter the size of the business and it doesn't matter what they make. Uh, we're All of these companies have one thing in common. They wanna produce more of whatever it is they produce with the same level of effort. And that's what we help them do. Uh, when you look at the five steps of how we how we go to, to market in terms of from a, from an implementation perspective, uh, and these are in order for a reason. The first one is connect. We absolutely have to get the data from the equipment. It doesn't matter again what how old it is, but we need that data stream from the equipment because we need to know what it's doing. Then we take that data stream and we visualize it. So we have dashboarding tools and things of that nature that that actually make the data present, uh, whether it's an and on screen on the floor or a desktop or somebody's phone or a tablet or whatever. Um, so they, they visualize what's actually going on on the floor. Uh, the next step in the process is analyze. So we have, we calculate about 18 different metrics in real time. And, and what that allows us to do is, is to give the operational management team a very good situational awareness tool about what's going on in their manufacturing operations, whether it's in the four walls that they work at now, or whether it's a multi-plant uh, scenario where there's plants upstream and downstream, all that data can be correlated together so that there's one version of the truth. The fourth step in the process is optimize. So once we look at what the, the data that we collect and we, we understand what it means and we understand when that data is, is not in its optimal format it's, or its optimal form, it's not the plant's not producing what it should produce, uh, we can optimize that process and we have continuous improvement tools built into the, to our software platform that allows continuous improvement teams to take the data, take the information, take the process, optimize it, and actually see in most cases in real time whether those optimizations are, are accretive uh, and beneficial. And if they are, they make them part of standard work and the process repeats itself. And if we do all these steps in order, the fifth step takes care of itself, which is the monetized step. And I gave you the value proposition that we on average generate earlier, which is 10 to 50% uh, or approximately a 300% internal return rate. We look at uh, where the uh, value proposition comes from. I'd love to tell you that it's just one magic bullet. And you know, we, we, every single factory is the same. But the reality is that's not true. Uh, and so when we look at the various buckets that add up to that 10 to 50%, these are some of the, the areas that we concentrate on, whether it's root, quick root cause analysis or value stream data collection, um, labor productivity tracking, uh, usage-based preventative maintenance, all these things uh, have an accretive effect when we, when we remove the constraints to increasing the productivity of the factory. So essentially you have a, a hidden factory within the four walls of this current factory that people don't know that they had previously. 
Uh, just a, a quick, I always get asked the question, well, that's great if you have all these brand new equipment, uh, pieces of equipment, and they're all Ethernet capable, and you plug them in, that's awesome. But what about all this older equipment that we uh, that we have? How do we get it connected? And so we, about, about 10 years ago or so, developed a product. This is the second generation of it. Uh, and it's a hardware device that actually fits inside a piece of equipment and essentially turns the machine into a web server. And so it, if, uh, if you look here, there's an Ethernet port. Not to get too technical, but there's an Ethernet port here. We can take a bunch of digital signals up to 16 here. We can also plug into one of the most widely used CNC controls. It's called a FANIC control. We can plug into it. And essentially, we take this data, we condition it, and we turn it into a web server. So essentially, no machine is left behind, regardless of who makes it, regardless of what it manufactures. If it can't speak intelligently to us, we'll turn it into an intelligent piece of equipment. That was just an example of one of them installed. Um, that's a, a FANIC control, but that that board, we, that's not a necessity. We don't have to install this board in every machine that we that we connect. Well, we prefer actually not to because it's less expensive for the customer. However, we had to have an answer to that that question. And so we, we chose to develop our own. And we were the first to market with uh, an MT Connect compatible um, device, which essentially means that it's, uh, it's essentially the language of the inter internet. It speaks XML and HTTP. Uh, which means that we can take the data very simply into our application and create the value that I mentioned earlier. Uh, our software is, is what we call a manufacturing operations management system. It's much more comprehensive than just, uh, than, uh, say, simple green light machine monitoring. That's, uh, that's, that's a really simple thing to do. A lot of people can do it. But when you start to get into manufacturing operations management, you have two additional data streams that you have to corroborate with the machine data. You have to take the data from the ERP system, things like work orders, tack time, things of that nature. Then you have to take the data from the human capital that operate the equipment. And the confluence of those three data streams allows us to, to render these types of dashboards. And uh, again, this is all standard product. It's uh, in our case, these are our, our application is a widget based application. So it's drag and drop all these trend charts, bar charts, pie charts, uh, things of that nature, all the people can create their own universe. It's like a canvas uh, and they can drop these things in whatever format they want. Uh, and, and we also have what we call a Merlin performance management model because our product is called Merlin Tempest. Tempest is Latin for time. Uh, and and uh, our manufacturing uh, operations management system with our performance management model guarantees the customer this 10 to 50% productivity increase at 300% internal return rate. When you look at building a business case, what we do is we focus on the Delta. So with every single customer that we work with, whether you know, right from the start all the way through to implementation, uh, if we're successful in becoming, uh, they're becoming a customer of ours, we focus on the difference between their current state and their future state. And the difference between the average factory and world-class, if you see here the factory on, on your right, my, uh, I guess your left, is a um, uh, factory that's a typical factory at 39 sub say sub 40 percent and you look at all those different little incremental uh six percent here eight percent there three percent there um it's either it, it's improving the quality uh, in, uh improving the shop related downtime whatever it is our tool allows people to see all this uh and our and the tools built within the software allow people to to streamline it and actually reclaim that time so the factory on the right is 85 percent world class now both factories are accepting a 15 percent acceptable loss because World-class is 85% in three categories, 95% in each category multiplied by each other. But the factory on the left is accepting a much larger acceptable loss. And the most time, in most cases, they have no idea where to look for it. And so that's what our software does. It gives them the, 
the situational awareness of what's going on and the ability to, to uh, take the current factory state to world-class. And just to give you an example of some of the um, uh, return on investment uh, metrics. So say your average uh, small, medium enterprise, 20 machines, five days a week, 16 hours a day. And let's assume for the moment that their loaded labor cost is $85 an hour. Well, if we just saved them six minutes per machine per hour worked, uh, uh, which is an incremental return rate of 400%. It's approximately a payback that's less than three months. And over a three-year period, we would generate two, just over $2 million in, in an additional accretive EBITDA. We have lots of case studies where these numbers are actually even higher. But just to say a simple 10% increase or six minutes per machine per hour reclaimed. And then the next example is, is essentially 50% more than that. So nine minutes is 600% internal return rate, two-month payback. And uh, it's about a $3 million accretive ad over three years to the bottom line. So these numbers are, are big numbers, but the, the benefit is we can actually quantify it down to the root cause on the factory floor in minutes per machine per hour worked. Uh, some customer success utilizing our, our product, 25% and the whole plant of precision machining and aerospace company received 11% in three months. Large equipment manufacturer, uh, 24 to 62% across the board, especially machining. Again, these are all different disparate industries with one common problem. Uh, uh, Fine-tuning the setup process and one, one of our customers uh, allowed them to increase a 68% gain in the parts produced. And uh, I can't see the number on that because it's being blocked by this, but essentially a 25% uh, improvement, overall improvement in enterprise aerospace customer. So these numbers are, 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 are big. When you look at most of our customers, they'll fall somewhere in between these numbers, depending on what it is they make. But the average internal return rate is 300% or four-month payback. And with that, uh, that's that's my short and sweet presentation on the company. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, 2021, um, you know, I go back to one of your last press releases. Uh, you grew the business by 65% or the top line by 65%. Um, <clears throat> What, what, what can you tell us about 2021? What, what, uh, what were your good, good points, low points, and what does it look like going forward? So uh, uh, in 2021, we, we had to trans, well, in 2020, we started transitioning the business because of COVID, we had a, a bit of a stunt in, uh, in growth. So some of that growth is simply year over year business that we, we should have got, but uh, that was delayed. But for the most part, uh, we're starting to see the adoption curve and this technology start to, uh, to flatten out a little bit. I still, I'll still say that sub 5% of manufacturers take advantage of this type of technology. So there really is a massive market out there. And it's a question of how quickly can we turn people, uh, the herd of mentality, herd mentality in manufacturing turns from, this is a really cool technology to this is a must have. And, and when that, when that technology, when that uh, mindset changes, um, the adoption curve flattens out and then uh, we're into more sales cycles. So uh, that's what we're starting to see now. Um, sometimes we have lumpy quarters, like, you know, we could have a lumpy quarter this, this, this year. So, you know, I'm not going to say that we're going to grow incrementally every single quarter over quarter going forward. Um, some, the, the timing of some of our purchase orders are, are, are lumpy. And so, uh, but on balance, uh, we're, we're going to try and grow the business again this year at a, at a healthy clip at a double digit clip. And it gives, I mean, you say less than 5% adoption within the industry. Give us a sense of what, what's, how big is this addressable market? Oh, there's millions of, millions of machine tools in just in North America alone. And then there's, there's hundreds of thousands of companies that manufacture. I mean, I, 
there's probably half a million manufacturers at least in North America. Um, and I, and I'm, when I say manufacturers, I mean anybody that makes anything. I'm not talking about aerospace parts or automotive parts or food mm -hmm. and beverage packaging or fabrication. Um, those are the genres that we're penetrated now, but there are other um, genres that we haven't penetrated yet that we, we think would be a candidate for our technology. So it's a matter of getting the word out and people like to, um, you know, they like to, they like to have four or five examples of customers in their particular niche market that are using this technology that, that makes them feel comfortable about, about purchasing. So, um, it's just a matter of just continually, continually collecting, uh, companies in disparate, uh, genres of manufacturing, and then using their success to breed, the. Uh, um, the, or to, to increase the adoption and get people excited about actually adopting this technology going forward. Mm -hmm. And how, um, how do you price this? Like when, when you go to customer, you know, is, is this a one-time sale? Is it, uh, you know, I imagine it's, there's a, there's sort of a per machine component to it, but give us a better description of, of pricing. Well, there's and how do you sell multiple, it? multiple ways to do it. So let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about the perpetual license model for a minute. So, um, Perpetual license is a, somewhere between five and $7,000 a machine installed with about a 15% recurring revenue year over year for software maintenance and about a 5% recurring for, for services. And so that's one way to, to purchase the product. Uh, another way to purchase the product is we have two, two um, funding partners, one in Canada, one in the US, and they can lease it. Uh, for us, all that, it's still a perpetual license, but it, it gives us, uh, it makes it easy for the customer, the, the actual cost per month the savings that they get from using the technology is on average about 10 times what it costs to buy to pay for on a monthly basis over a five year term. Uh, so we've done that a few times. Uh, and then we have a, a SaaS model or what we call a term license model where they never own it and they, they basically rent it. And we have several customers doing that where if they don't renew or they re up, say, um, you know, when they one year term is up as we do it on a year by year basis then they have they lose not only do they lose the right to use the software they lose all the data they've collected too they can offload that into a sql database but but without our tools to analyze it it's just a bunch of data right they'd have to write a tool to to mm -hmm. report it out so mm -hmm. there's three there's really three two two and a half ways i guess to uh to, to purchase it there's mm -hmm. a traditional SaaS type model although we're we're an on-prem solution we're, we're not a mm -hmm. multi-tenant cloud type solution we we did that on purpose we have a lot of customers that we pick up because they don't, they don't ever want to have their data outside their, mm -hmm. their control, whether it's uh, in their own data center, their, their own uh, Amazon web services or Azure uh, instance. Uh, they just don't want to have that data outside their own control. And we don't, mm -hmm. our deployment strategy is re really simple. We need a, we need a Microsoft SQL server and, and, uh, and a Microsoft uh, operating environment, uh, server operating environment, and we don't care where it exists. Mm -hmm. Could exist in a data center. Could exist behind their four walls. Could exist on a virtual private network. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And um, is there some sort of metric that we can sort of use, like on a per machine basis or per you know average sort of deployment basis? What what kind of pricing does a does a machine get you? Um, so if you know what I mean by the question. Yeah. So, so it's, it, like I said, it's about five to seven grand a machine and that's based on a, on a mm. project say of 20 machines. So it's somewhere around $140,000. And that's, that's a, I'm just using an example where the hardware software mix is 50, 50. Mm -hmm. So 10 machines require the hardware adapter and, and, uh, and 10 machines uh, are, are intelligent or able, we're able to connect them directly mm -hmm. just to kind of split the, the not split hairs there. So about $140,000. 
uh, that's got a, about a 15%, so let's say, because 15% of the software. So that's about, uh, probably generates about a $12,000 recurring revenue uh, profile off that $140,000 sale. Mm-hmm. If you look at our financials, uh, we report our hardware revenue, our software and services revenue, and our recurring revenue in three different buckets. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quote me on the numbers because I don't have the financials in front of me, but they're easily available on Cedar. Okay. Good. So that was going to be Somewhere my next question. Eight hundred thousand dollars recurring revenue. I think we had this year. It might have been closer to nine hundred. Okay. Gotcha. I don't remember the exact gotcha. number off the top of my okay. head. Okay. We'll look it up. Now that that was going to be my next question. So um, we'll uh, we'll dig that up there. Um, uh, I, I also noticed. I mean, you report backlog or bookings. Maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Uh, give us any color you can. So, so that's uh, that's work that we have in house that we haven't invoiced yet. So it's purchase firm purchase orders where we're part we're uh, part way through uh, a project, but we have certain payment milestones. Like when we get the order, we charge forty percent. When we deploy the software, it's another twenty five percent. When we deploy hardware or ship hardware, there's another percent. So depending on where that project is, and and uh, we have a very rigid deployment strategy that rigid defined as we have very various stages. And those stages drive milestone payments. And so uh, backlog is the combination of everything that we have in-house that we have to that we have to deliver at some point in the future that we haven't invoiced. Okay. And and bookings, do you treat bookings differently? Is that like orders you haven't started yet or? Uh, no. Uh, so um, bookings are, uh, sorry, booking, uh, uh, backlog and bookings are very similar. Okay. Um, but, uh, we, we chose to go with a, with a, def, a defined term called backlog, hmm. sorry, defined term called bookings. Right. Um, and we, we define that term. It's not a, it's not a universal IFRS uh, term. We had to quantify it. Okay. Fair enough. Just because we, we wanted people to know that hey, we've got these purchase orders and this is indicative of what future revenue opportunities and mm-hmm. our, 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 be honest with you, our bookings were, were lower than we anticipated. Uh, we had some people that sat on the fence, uh, uh, towards the end of the year, uh, the end of the calendar year. And I'm not a big fan of offering incentives to just to close business. If we're going to get the business anyway, and it comes in the second week of January, as, as a couple of them I've already done, um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of saying, hey, I got to hit some numbers. So here's a 10% discount. Give us a purchase order. I'm just be giving money away. Yeah, yeah. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the competitive landscape? Um, you did mention there's other players that are out there. It's, it sounds like it's still, you know, uh, an industry that's not, you know, fully saturated clearly if it's less than 5%, but what's, what's the lay of the land as far as your competitors, what makes you better? What, what can you improve on? So there's, there's, uh, there's several relatively new players in the market. There's, uh, that have raised a significant amount of money on the private equity side, mm-hmm. um, in their, their SaaS plays or software as a service. Um, and we pick up a lot of customers from from them that the people that don't want to uh, to deploy in a in a multi-tenant SaaS based environment. Um, but there seems to be more of them pop up every day. Um, what, the, what a lot of the feedback that we get from customers is that they're really good at sales and marketing, but really poor at at execution in terms of the product itself, because the product isn't as feature and function rich as our product. I mean, we've been at this a lot longer. Uh, when we first went to market in 2010, we used to have to explain the acronym OEE. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to explain that anymore because a lot of companies already track it. They track it manually for the most part. And so what we're doing is we're coming in with a with an automated tool that allows them to track this uh, in, in a way that, that they um, don't have to spend a lot of uh, human capital to do, you know, with Excel spreadsheets and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the data 
it's usually wrong because it's subjective and it's usually, mm -hmm. and it's obviously latent, which means the bad decisions, we can't make great decisions. We're not real-time data. Mm -hmm. um, so there are competitors and we, you know, it's good. I actually like uh, having competition because I spend, I have to spend a little less money on marketing than I would otherwise. I mean, if we're the only company out there having to evangelize this massive manufacturing base, uh, we're, we're going to have to have this massive uh, marketing budget to just mm -hmm. to reach people. So mm -hmm. I, I, I actually like competition personally. I mean, it's a, a diversity and we get to then talk about when we, we keep, we track a matrix of about 20 competitors and various mm -hmm. then. When I say competitors, they're not, some of them are not direct competitors to us, but they have an offering that, that would mm -hmm. sort of quasi compete with what we do mm -hmm. um, on, on some level. And so we track those and we track their pricing and we track uh, their features and functions. And, and uh, so that we're, when we're in a competitive environment, which happens more often now than, than it did before, uh, we're able to articulate the differentiation between what we have mm -hmm. and what they have. Uh, one of the one of those couple of hallmarks to our solution that I think are are important to understand, and they were a lot more expensive to to uh, to do. I could have we could have probably spent a few million dollars less on the platform if we hadn't have done this, but they they're paying huge dividends now because let's uh, for example we have um, we have the ability to not there's two ways to take data from equipment right there's or, or data from anywhere. One of them is to and is to persist it all, in other words, load it into a database and then try to make sense of it later. And that's the easy way to do it. The mm -hmm. hard way to do it is to determine what the rules are ahead of time, what the logic is, and then process that data at the edge or where it's generated, and then decide what insights make sense and only persist those and throw the rest of it away. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's that's a whole logic processor layer. And we have two of those. We have one on our hardware uh, device, and we have one uh, before at our, at our gateway and our engine before it's actually persisted in the database. So that that was that's a, a huge competitive differentiator to us. Uh, the second one is our reporting engine, the way that we actually uh, do our reporting. Uh, again, we, we have a very flexible reporting engine, uh, almost like a business objects type tool, where uh, some of our competitors will say, well, we have 10,000 reports. And then an immediate answer that I get, or a question I fire back to the, to, to the uh, prospect is, well, you have 10,000 reports. Tell me the difference between report number 225 and report 7,450. Like, nobody needs 10,000 reports. Mm -hmm. What they need is the, the access to the data to be able to put the pieces together the way that makes sense to them because everybody looks at data differently. Specifically, your, your, um, when you're different roles within the company, senior management or C-suite management looks at data completely different than, than people who schedule and, and mm -hmm. people in engineering and what have you. So having given the ability to people to look at the data the way that makes sense to them and drive the insights that they need to, to increase mm -hmm. the productivity of the factory is a huge differentiator for us. I, I think we're the, one of the only companies that actually, is actually doing it that way, that in the, the logic processor. Ellis, mm -hmm. um, a question. Um, does this, does, does your product lend itself better to brownfield uh, opportunities or greenfield opportunities? Um, both. We've, we've, uh, I, I, well, there's so much greenfield opportunity now because the market's only penetrated at 5%, but we've actually replaced uh, other software that the people have either homegrown or, you know, we call homebrew. They've done their own system and yeah. it becomes untenable after a while because, you know, it's, it sounds easy. I, again, to do just simple green light machine monitoring, I was a machine mm -hmm. running. Um, I could do that in an Excel spreadsheet in about a half an hour, but that, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily, that, that, that's great, but, but, and it's probably better than having nothing, but mm -hmm. it doesn't allow you to get the insights necessary to generate a 10 to 50% productivity increase the way that, that, uh, the system like ours would. 
Mm-hmm. And so there is both opportunities on, on greenfield and brownfield opportunities. Great. Um, listen, I'll take this opportunity to remind everybody, if you've got any questions you'd like me to ask David, uh, please use the chat function and I'll do my best to, to ask that question. Um, David, sort of what, what um, you know, you've been at it for quite a while now. Um, you're starting to see some, some extra traction right now, but uh, what, what's keeping up at night right now? What, what could you either do better or what do you want to see uh, happen within the industry? So we're, we're right now, we're retooling our sales model. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we're separating, uh, uh, we're separating our pre-sales and our account management because the most valuable sales time that we have as a company is our account management people. They're the most technically literate. They're the most system literate with what we do. And there's still, as, as, as I said, there's 95% greenfield opportunity out there. And that greenfield opportunity is, needs a lot of has a lot of questions that they want answered that not necessarily need to be answered by somebody in an account management role. Uh, they're the most senior people that we have. They're the most qual- technically qualified people that we have. And so we've, we're separating our pre-sales people, which is uh, kind of redundant um, questions. The questions come up a lot. They're very similar. And the whole purpose of this pre-sales uh, people are to actually um, answer the majority of the questions, see if the customer's a fit, our prospects of fit before we actually spend any time on the account management side. And so we have a whole qualification process. So we're implementing that, that right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit of, you know, it's, it's a lot of work because we're, we're having to, to hire resources or, or subcontract resources externally and, and uh, be able to get these, what I call sales qualified leads into the hands of our salespeople. And so that, that's uh, again, been, a, been a lot of work for us and, and uh, it, it keeps me up at night because it's it it um, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to work. It's just a matter of it might take a little longer to to show the revenue for the effort. Uh, then uh, and hopefully the, the market has some patience with us. Mm-hmm. So I mean, apart from sort of the new initiative in terms of your sales uh, sales process right now, what what other sort of new initiatives or new products um, can can sort of the market expect? So we have we have about a three-year roadmap of, uh, of ideas that we, we think would be very beneficial to our customer base. We, were, we actually have one of them we're about to release, uh, which is a creative revenue. So uh, we're not everybody's gonna need uh, every one of these modules that we, we have architected and sort of thought about, but for the customers that are further ahead, I guess, or further down the journey, uh, this allows us to generate more revenue and solve more business cases, more more business problems that they have. And so it'll be like an a la carte ad. And it'll be we're debating whether it's going to be an annual lift or or a perpetual lift with a with a with a ASM component to it. And we'll have to sort of assess what the market will support. But um, so we have a, a, a module we're bringing out very shortly that has that's around tooling and tracking tooling as an asset on the floor. It's the single biggest expense that our customers um, spend is on consumable tooling. And so how do we track that effectively? How do we know what tools are in what machine, how much cutting time each tool has, which tools could we replace and not have to keep inventory on because we use them some, you know, less frequent or not, not as free, not, not as much as we should way less frequent than we should, but we're, we're tying capital up in these tools. Maybe we could concatenate the, the tooling costs down into some number that makes sense um, rather than have all this disparate tooling all over the factory. And every time we have a new job, we end up buying more tooling and new tooling that, that again, has a, has a cost. 
So being able to streamline that cost, uh, that's one. Another one is uh, financial OEE being able to take the cost of, so right now we calculate OEE, but we don't calculate the financial aspect of OEE. We leave that to the ERP system to do, to track mm -hmm. the, the cost and, 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 uh, and what have you. And we can actually apply uh, some financial metrics to the data that we collect and then be able to, to when we have a, an event, for example, when they, they produce a product that world-class when they're not producing that product, the next product run at world-class, what's the Delta in IFO income from operations between those two points. And the, and if you know what the IFO contribution is asset by asset, hour by hour, that might change the way that you take your, your continuous improvement resources and focus them because you may be focusing your efforts. You have limited bandwidth. Uh, let's face it. You can't improve every process all the time. Um, you're going to have to concentrate on the ones that, that, uh, uh, that that are that are you know whether it's delivery issue or whatever at that time, mm -hmm. but what if you could do it with a financial component and say okay if I fix this process I'm going to generate 300 bucks IFO more per hour and if I fix this process it's going to generate 50 which one mm -hmm. if you're a business owner which one would you concentrate on first right, right. I mean I, I every day I would I would take the 300 dollar an hour one because yeah. I can one hour versus six yeah. Yeah, and course. so we're adding, we're going to add that. And then I think where this business could get really interesting is when we we essentially change our business model to um, to a partner relationship from a customer supplier. And what I mean by that is we now become the, the you outsource your continuous improvement program to us. We'll track all the data. We'll provide all the continuous improvement resources remotely to work with your onsite team or we'll provide onsite teams if necessary. Uh, and, uh, and and we'll work with with within your process to take the data that we know and the process improvements that we've used in, in hundreds of other examples and be able to say, this is what you need to do to fix this bottleneck. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where that generates a, the way we'd like to do that is partner with our customers and charge them a nominal fee for our technology, almost like a retainer. And then we share in the upside. So, as, mm -hmm. so we as much as much improvement as we give you, we take a percentage of whatever that is, and we mm -hmm. agree that ahead of time. Yeah. So, if we improve your process by ten percent and it generates an extra, I don't know, fifty thousand dollars a month and in in, uh, in increased uh, income, uh, you know, maybe we take a percentage of that. What that percentage mm -hmm. is, I don't know. We have to we have mm -hmm. to figure out. Right now, it's it's more about getting the data from the equipment and getting the, the data, like getting getting stuff connected. But these are additional business, accretive business use cases that we can use with our customer base as it expands. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I believe that that uh, eventually we'll get to that business model. Mm -hmm. but we'll do it with real time data. A lot of there's companies doing it right now, but they send people in, they collect all this data, and then and then, like I said, one of the three pillars of productivity changes, and then they have mm -hmm. to do the process over again. Whereas mm -hmm. we track all this stuff in real time, mm -hmm. so we can provide that type of service in real time. Yeah. David, um, does does new equipment or new machinery uh, do they come with a lot of these capabilities, or, or, or are we talking? Um, you know, are you mostly selling to sort of you know installed equipment that doesn't uh, speak this way? No, no, no. We no, actually. So if you bought, I'm just using an example of one of our partners is Mazak, right? It's the world's largest mm -hmm. machine field builder. Uh, they every machine they sell. That they've sold since 1995 has an upgrade option that allows us to take the data. Mm. There's there's two there's two things. Just because a machine produces a data stream doesn't mean that people harness it effectively, mm. right? It's just data. Sure. Like it's it's uh, and you have to have an application that then consumes that data and and gives you an insight or insights into what's actually going on. 
uh, we that's that's what our pro, uh, our product does. MT Connect is just an enabler of that. So if you buy a new Mazak machine with an MT Connect option, that's great. All that means for us is I don't have to. We don't have to install a piece of hardware. We don't have to write yeah. a driver. We just plug an Ethernet cable in and an IP address and port, and then we can use our application to generate the benefits that we've been speaking about for the last forty minutes or so. Exactly. So it's actually it, it's it's better for you. It's uh, yeah, for it's sure. just easier. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that's why we were huge proponents of the MT Connect standard back in. I mean, I led several working groups back in 2010, 2012 to get this thing off the ground with a group of like-minded peers uh, because it makes my job easier and it lowers the barrier to entry for the customer. Mm, yeah. Right. Because otherwise I, I, I'm going to be having to write drivers for every disparate right. piece of equipment on the planet. That's a necessary evil if you don't have empty connect, but mm. it's not best use of time. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's interesting uh, that uh, you brought that up. Um, the, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing all sorts of issues with, with chip shortages and sort of electronic shortages and things like that. Has that affected your business at all right now? Uh, absolutely is not. So we have our product contract manufactured in, uh, in Brantford, Ontario, so we don't offshore it. Mm-hmm. And although, let's face it, most of the chips in the world are made in, in Asian countries, whether it's Taiwan or China or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, we always keep an inventory far ahead of our demand. Um, without getting into specifics, because this is going to be public, uh, not getting into specifics of what our, our margins are. Mm-hmm. Um, we have extremely healthy margins on our hardware layer. Mm-hmm. And, and we, so we're, that affords us to keep inventory to satisfy demand. So we probably have enough inventory uh, for the, at least the next nine to 12 months. Good. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the stock. Um, I mean, you're, you're you know four and a half million dollar market cap company, so it's it's not huge, but um, give, give us a sense insider ownership and any kind of other sort of significant shareholders that, that we, we can speak to. Well, okay, so I I'm, I think I'm the largest single shareholder still. I own 12, 12 just under twelve and a half percent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can put my hands on with several phone calls, probably another. Um, not insiders, but founders, I guess. So, so people that you know, when we started this business back in uh, in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. um, thirty five, probably probably close to f- close to fifty million shares um, are owned by people I know. Okay, I call them friendly. Okay, perfect. And um, uh, financing requirements. Do you have any any need for financing? Um, any sort of you know, projects um, or anything you want to spend hard, money on? Hard to raise, hard to raise capital at this at this level. Um, I I think our, I mean, based on our performance, uh, the, and I guess markets had showed me, and we did, um, it didn't have a, any material effect whatsoever in the stock price. Um, so I think we just got to keep keep grinding, uh, keep 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 producing, and eventually the stock price will catch up with the business fundamentals. But and, uh, and- the answer answer your question, um, I'm not. We're not planning on raising capital right now, mm-hmm. which is nice to put a little extra money in on the balance sheet and be able to uh, allay s- some fears that the market has that we're going out of business because I think that's mm-hmm. the way the stock's priced right now. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we're not we're not planning on raising significant capital in the near term here. Okay, so I mean, you don't have any big R and D spends or anything that you need money no, for. Our, but... our product's built. I mean, we. We continue to evolve it, and we have three developers on staff that that do that. But mm-hmm. we're not, you know, we're, we we are capable now with the team we have to refactor the software as required, mm-hmm. uh, and we're able to add features and functions as required. 
so we're not, no, we're not, uh, we're the, the days of spend, big spend on R and D for us are, 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 okay. are over our products built. It's a really mm -hmm. a sales execution exercise at this point. Mm -hmm. now, I mean, you, you are a sub five cent stock. A lot of times we see those type of companies uh, do um, share consolidations or any, any consideration to a consolidation. Every share consolidation that I've seen happen so far, it's done too early. It's done for the wrong reasons and it ends drifting back downwards. So uh, I, when, when, if and when the time is right, we'll consolidate the shares. But right now, just to get a higher stock price, um, mm -hmm. not not the right reason to do it personally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, Listen, we're, we're almost at the end here, but uh, we always like to look forward, uh, ask the CEOs kind of what, what your vision is, what does this business look like five years from now, and not so much revenues, maybe you can talk a bit about what, what you think um, sort of the industry looks like, but give us your crystal ball look out five years from now, what does Memex look like? Well, I, I think uh, that business model that I spoke about where we become the, the trusted partner with our customer as opposed to the customer supplier relationship. Uh, for us is going to be a big one because if my math is right and the market will will uh, market meaning not the capital markets but but the market in general will accept that business model I think it basically takes our perpetual license model and turns it into a yearly recurring revenue model and I think that's where this company gets really interesting because you now have you you now are solving problems and the capacity as a partner with your customer as opposed to a supplier with your customer. And I think that that paradigm, when that paradigm shifts, uh, the trust is built. And that for us, I think could be a, a huge um, a huge opportunity from the point of view of revenue generation on a recurring basis. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think we're a little premature. I mean, I, I think if we launched that now, wouldn't have as uh, uptake, but two years, maybe three years from now, when the adoption curve is maybe approaching 10%, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit higher than that. I think might be the right time to to consider uh, changing that that business model, essentially, essentially our our uh, revenue model. And when mm -hmm. we do that, I said, I, I, I if my math's right, we're taking our uh, annual perpetual license revenue and turning it into recurring revenue every year. Mm -hmm. And if we don't yeah. perform, we don't get paid. Right? So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a real there's a real reason to uh, to perform. <laughs> Incentive, yeah, you gotta. You got to earn your keep for sure. Um, David, um, as investors, we're looking into your business right now. What sort of catalysts or metrics do you think makes the most sense to, to watch uh, to, to sort of indicate or validate that you guys are executing in your business plan? I think if we saw double digit uh, top line and for us, top line and bottom line are really related to each other now because we've we've uh, from a cost structure excuse me, from a cost structure perspective, we've, we've got the right people on the bus. We, we know what our expenses are. We know what it takes every million dollars of incremental sales beyond the current uh, revenue number. We know what the expenses we're going to incur. We know what our, so we can model it, right? So we're not, so if you look at our top line revenue growth uh, in double digits again this year with, with bottom line uh, improvement as well, I think is, is, uh, the goal for this, you know, this fiscal year defined as 2022. I, I'm loath to go too much further beyond that because there's a whole interest rate discussion that has to be had, and there's an inflation discussion that has to be had, mm -hmm. and you know, who knows what central banks are going to do, and how are they going to turn the tap off too fast, and is that going to put us into recession? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you do, please tell me. But 
I don't. <laughs> as long don't. as manufacturers are continuing to invest in their operations, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're good. So I think it's a slight curveball question, but one, one thing that we're noticing is that there's a fair bit more um, sort of um, emphasis on manufacturing back in North America and this idea of, of offshore manufacturing. Reshoring. Reshore. Yeah, reshoring. So are you seeing that in any way uh, in sort of what you guys do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the person that started the reshoring initiative, his name is Harry, uh, Harry Moser. He's a good friend of mine, actually, mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. And uh, he, he's been doing he's been singing that he's been beating that drum for a decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's finally starting to gain some traction. And, and there are there used to be a, a real reason to to offshore because mm -hmm. um, but there, there isn't anymore. If you look at the cost structure of reshoring it, it in most cases makes sense to bring the work back, uh, back mm -hmm. to North America. And when they do that, when companies do that, there's, there's a, there's a spend and there's uh people when they, when they have these capital budgets, they're buying new equipment, whatever they want to put the latest, greatest uh, technology on it to, to make sure mm -hmm. they monitor it and not, and we're into another sales cycle. So yeah, we're in several sales cycles as a result of, of reshoring initiatives. That's and uh, we, we expect more because we expect yeah. more reshoring. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's a trend that we've certainly seen accelerate, if anything, over the last, uh, well, certainly since the pandemic and the issues around the pandemic, it seems to be a lot right. more uh, evident. Um, so just shipping listen, now, like try to get stuff shipped well, out of Asia. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. And just, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all seeing it and the cost of shipping and logistics now has skyrocketed to the point where cheap labor in Asia and some of these other places now has been sort of, you know, eclipsed, eclipsed by the, eclipsed cost, by the cost. Exactly. Yeah. And then the safety of supply and things like that, um, right. it, you know, buying, buying more local and, and securing supplies become a lot more big of an issue. So, mm -hmm. uh, so good, good, uh, good to get confirmation from somebody in your position here. Um, so listen, uh, sort of, we've, we've had chance to talk a whole, about a whole bunch of things. Um, but we're, you know, here's an opportunity for you to sort of give us a parting message or any any key takeaway that you want to make sure everybody sort of uh, walks away with uh, today. Well, we're in this for the long haul. We've got, uh, you know, I, I took this company public, public in 2013 uh, with with uh, with a vision to uh, to continue to bring our technology to the marketplace, and I think we're we're at, we're executing that now. Um, I, I think I think we're uh, we're 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 in a good spot. We're in a good spot. And, and I think the future for this technology is only just getting started. And I, and I know I've said that before, but the one thing I can't predict is when the adoption curve is going to flatten out. And we're starting mm -hmm. to see that now. Mm -hmm. So and I just go I just go by the amount of quotes that we're, we have out there, the amount of inbound interest, the amount of, you know, when our, our mar what our marketing initiatives drag up uh, in terms of prospects. And uh, yeah, it's 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 accelerating. So that's that's exciting because you know, we've, we've got everything ready to go. Like we've got the technology built. We've got marquee customers in every vertical that we want. We've got great success stories. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really bullish on the future with this technology and, and the problem that it solves. It's fantastic. It's been a long um, time coming. But, <laughs> it always takes a while to become an overnight been, success, right? It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Well, good on you. And perseverance is a, is a, is always a requirement for success. So um, good to see that you guys have put in the uh, the years here. L listen, David, if somebody wants more information on Memex, I see that you put your uh, your website address right there, memexoee.com. Uh, um, what is the best way to get information? Is it through the website or is there some other uh, means to, to contact you guys? 
Um, yeah, so so uh, through through the website, there's a, a plethora of information on on our technology problem it solved, case studies, all that kind of stuff. So if you're if you're interested in anything that I said with respect to what we do, there's more than enough information. There's many many hours of reading on there. <laughs> all our documents are up to date on uh, on CDAR. You know, we we uh, we've never missed a reporting period. Uh, we've never had our stock halted for anything uh, any reason um, other than pending news. Uh, so uh, we run a we run a tight ship, and yeah, if you have any any questions that that you think I that I can answer, then you know, reach out to me. I um, my email is Dave M at memix.ca. I'll do my best to answer. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. Okay, so we've been speaking to David McPhail, CEO of Memex, uh, OEE uh, dot V or OEE on the Venture Exchange. David, thanks for joining us today, and good luck. And hopefully, we can catch up with you in the not too distant future. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Bye-bye.